0: Today on the Matt Walsh Show, yet another race hoax has been exposed this week, showing again that we live in a culture fueled by lies. The media, the government, all of our institutions are in on it. Democrats moved to censor RFK Jr. during a hearing on censorship. Rolling Stone attacks me and other conservatives who've pointed out that those concerns, who pretend to be concerned about violence and music, should be less focused on Jason Aldean and a lot more focused on every rap artist ever, basically. And more Americans than ever are going to therapy, but is there any reason to believe that all of this therapy is actually helping the mental health crisis that we hear so much about? We'll talk about all that and more today on the Matt Walsh Show. We're days away from the Durban Accords, the greatest threat to the U.S. dollar's global dominance in the past 80 years. On August 22nd, BRICS nations are expected to announce the launch of a new international supercurrency, Fully backed by gold or other commodities this is part of their long-term plan to supplant America and the dollar as cornerstones of the global financial system. You can protect your IRA or 401k from the fallout of this landmark announcement by diversifying with gold from Birch Gold. Historically, gold has been a safe haven in times of high uncertainty, which is right now. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Well, you can protect your savings with gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. You can find out why by texting Walsh to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to depend on. Again, text Walsh to 989898. Imagine that you're a black 25-year-old community college student living in Alabama. You're struggling to pay your bills and you live with your parents. And let's also assume that you're also not a particularly ethical person. So in desperation, you start uh, thinking about robbing the spa where you work part-time. You even Google search terms like, how to steal money from a cash register without getting caught. First tip is uh, don't Google it. That's the first way to not get caught. A little late for that now. That's how bleak things are, though, for you. So what do you do next? Systemic white supremacy won't let you get a better job or make more money. You know how that is. So uh, what can you do if you're a member of the BIPOC community who needs cash and validation fast, but you aren't getting either of those things? Do you rob a bank? Do you uh, make up some sob story and try to get on American Idol? What do you do? According to the experts who have studied this question for a long time, there's one thing you definitely should not do, and that's fake your own kidnapping. Because if you did that, you'd never get any kind of attention or raise any amount of money because Americans are so racist that they wouldn't care about your disappearance. As the Washingtonian put it recently, quote, missing black people don't receive widespread media coverage. The Harvard Political Review double-checked that uh, finding and they agreed with it, quote, missing black and indigenous people do not receive the same attention and public support as white women with similar stories. The Washington Post independently looked at all the available evidence and they concurred with Harvard. They reported that, quote, the media loves missing white women. Black women are already missing from public view. That's true. I mean, you'd you'd never see any black women anywhere ever. Not in media, nowhere. Totally true. So the expert consensus is clear. If you're a person of color, quote unquote, specifically the black color, then don't pretend to get kidnapped for attention. It would be uh, pretty embarrassing, actually. Like when someone quits their job and no one at work even notices. That's how evil this country is. Now, if there are any experts or left-wing activists who really believe any of that, then the drama that played out over the, week, uh, the past week in this country must have come as a tremendous shock to them. Because here's the recap in case you missed it. On July 13th, a black community college student named Carly Russell suddenly disappeared. Russell called 911 while driving on the interstate and she said that she was, she said she was following an abandoned toddler who was walking along the road for some reason. She told the dispatcher that she followed this toddler uh, in her car for about 600 yards. This toddler was walking along the interstate for 600 yards. And then Carly Russell called her brother's girlfriend uh, and then got out of her car to save the child, at which point she screamed into the phone and vanished. Very dramatic. What happened next? Presumably, based on the expert insight from Harvard and the Washington Post, the story would just disappear into the ether, just like Carly Russell herself. No one would ever mention the name Carly Russell ever again. Nobody would care. That's the expected result, per the scholars. But what actually happened is that the entire news media lost its collective mind and covered Carly Russell's disappearance nonstop. Here's just as one example a package from the local NBC station, which aired within a day of Carly's disappearance, and uh, here's what they say about it.
1: A woman in Hoover near Birmingham has vanished after spotting a toddler alone near the side of the interstate. Police say 25-year-old Carlitha Russell was on the phone with her family when they heard her scream and then nothing else, even though her phone stayed on the line. Her car was found near the spot where she reported the toddler. That's where we find Patsy Douglas from our NBC affiliate in Birmingham. This is where Carly was
2: last seen here on I-459 near John Hawkins Parkway in Hoover. On Thursday evening, police say Carly called 911, saying a toddler was walking down the side of the interstate. After calling police, she stopped to get the child and called a family member. When police arrived, they found her car and belongings nearby, but no sign of her or the child. Family member is now on the search for Carly. Her parents desperate for her return.
0: To keep applying the pressure to keep this thing going, um, we really want this to blow up. We want the word of the day to be Carly. Hmm. We really want this to blow up, says uh, Carly's family. And blow up it did. It wasn't long before media reports indicated that a witness had seen a vehicle with a male with a light complexion near the scene of the crime. Which makes sense because white people are always out hiding in the woods, sending out toddlers as bait to lure in black community college students. It happens all the time. That version of events checked out with uh, ABC News and their rigorous editorial standards. ABC ran this package as the search for Carly continued. Watch.
1: Police in Alabama are searching for a woman who vanished under strange circumstances. After she stopped to help a child, she saw walking all alone along an interstate. 25-year-old Carlitha Nicole Russell called 911, then a family member about, and told a family member about the child. Police say that family member on the phone lost contact with Russell, even though the line remained open. Responding officers then found Russell's car, but her, not her phone, and, oh, nor the child.
0: Now, notice that ABC, like NBC, just comes out and assumes that Carly's story is true. They report, as if it's beyond dispute, that Carly, quote, stopped to help a child she saw walking all alone along the interstate. I'll tell you, there's a real missing child out there without verifying it in any way. That's remarkable for a few reasons, but the main reason is it's uh, remarkable is that it makes absolutely no sense. For one thing, the interstate where Carly Russell pulled over wasn't some desolate stretch of country road. There are a bunch of cars and trucks driving by at the time of her supposed kidnapping. Here's footage of Carly pulling her car over, and you can see it here. Uh, and what you see there in the footage is that you know, many vehicles are driving by as Carly puts her hazards on to find the Phantom missing child. Why did none of the drivers of any of those vehicles call 911? Why was Carly Russell the only person who seemed concerned that a toddler was somehow managing to run 600 yards down the side of an interstate at night? I mean, that's the kind of thing that people will notice. Why was there no evidence of any kind of struggle once she pulled over? Why did no witness see her being abducted? Before we could get answers to any of those questions, a couple days later, if you can believe it, Carly showed up at her parents' house totally unharmed. She told detectives that a white man with orange hair had kidnapped her then took photos of her naked before she escaped. Carly's boyfriend, meanwhile, posted on social media that she had to fight for her life in order to secure her freedom. Then shortly afterwards, he took down that post for reasons that remain unclear. Now, at this point, if you're uh, not deranged or hopelessly naive, you're probably getting a little suspicious. But rather than question any of this, the Today Show on NBC held a sympathetic exclusive sit-down interview with Carly's parents. And it was just like, if you remember that Robin Roberts interview, the infamous one with Jussie Smollett back in the day, where the deeply concerned reporter nods as she's fed obvious lies. So here are some highlights from this latest version of that kind of interview. Watch.
3: That moment you all first laid eyes on her again, what was it like? To me, I mean, just so much joy. This morning in an exclusive sit-down with NBC News, the parents of 25-year-old Carly Russell are speaking out, describing the moment their daughter appeared on their doorstep after being missing for more than 48 hours. Her parents declined to share what their daughter told them, citing the ongoing investigation. And can you tell me what happened Saturday night? Did you just get a knock at the door? Anything leading to to the case itself, we, we can't discuss that. But they say speculation about the circumstances surrounding Carly's disappearance are only making things worse. She's having to deal with the trauma of people just making completely false allegations about her. And when I talked to you all on Saturday, you also said your daughter is a fighter and she would find a way back to you. I felt that in my heart. Is that what happened? She did, she found her way back to us. However, we can't discuss the details of that. But they say one thing is clear. Do you believe she was fighting for her life? Oh, she definitely fought for her life. There were moments when she physically had to fight for her life and there were moments when she had to mentally fight for her life.
0: Mentally fighting for her life. Uh, She should have done a lot more mental fighting before this whole plan was hatched, I think. So the parents definitely can't talk about the case for some reason. But they can say, even though they're sitting down for an interview. Sitting down for an interview about the case, but we can't talk about the case. Okay. And what they can say is that they they don't want you to say anything. They don't want you to say anything about how strange and totally unbelievable their daughter's story is. Because that's inflicting trauma on her daughter and on all of them. But the mother can say that uh, her daughter had to mentally fight for her life, whatever that means. The bottom line is that they want you to know that they're the victims. Is that true? Well, shortly after the interview, we uh, learned that Carly had been running some pretty suspicious Google searches on her phone the day of her disappearance. Apparently, Carly stole some stuff from her job and then Googled a well-known action movie about a woman's kidnapping, the, uh, the movie Taken, uh, with Liam Neeson. Which, by the way, in that movie, uh, if you remember, uh, Liam Neeson's daughter was on the phone And then she let out a scream when she was kidnapped, which is the same thing that happened with Carly Russell, allegedly. Only question, I don't know, the person that was on the phone with Carly Russell, did that person then give a speech about how he has a particular set of skills and he will find you and kill you? I I don't know. She also searched for information about Amber Alerts ahead of time. She had a premonition. She had a premonition she was going to go missing. So she looked up Amber Alerts. And when cops wanted to talk to her for some follow-up questioning, they haven't been able to get in touch with her. Maybe the white man in orange hair kidnapped her again. Police say that there's no evidence that any part of Carly's story is true. Uh, They haven't been able to confirm any part of it at all. And yet the media is still reluctant to point in the direction of the obvious truth here, which is that the whole thing. Obviously, is a hoax. Uh, Even the local police chief is too afraid to come out and say that. Here was his statement, quote, we want to talk in facts. And I do think it's highly, highly unusual To the day that someone gets kidnapped, that's several seven hours or eight hours before that, that they're searching the Internet, Googling the movie Taken about an abduction. I find that very, very strange, he says. Well, there you have it. It's very, very strange. Well, actually, it's not very strange at all. It's totally predictable. When you transform victimhood into a currency, when you reward the most unserious and corrupt people for their behavior, then you get more corruption. Now, I'm going into some detail here about uh, all of this because it illustrates something that's not talked about enough. What we're seeing in this case and in so many others, is pathological lying from virtually everyone in the media and government. The powers that be, they don't just play on our fears for ratings or clicks. Instead, they actively generate false fears in order to distract us from the things that we should be worried about. Black women are getting kidnapped randomly by white terrorists who use toddlers as bait. They basically just spend the last week saying almost exactly that. They're doing this right out in the open. And they're not ashamed of it. CNN just published what they call a news article. That's the perfect example of this kind of thing. Here's the first sentence of this objective news item. Quote, mass shootings in major metropolitan areas in the United States disproportionately affect black people. And structural racism may play a role. The authors complain uh, in the study that, quote, racial and ethnic minority populations are significantly more likely to be victims of mass shootings. According to CNN, quote, The study found that in areas with higher black populations, mass shootings are likelier to occur compared to communities with higher white populations. There are also more black people injured and killed when mass shootings take place, according to the findings. Now, the message is that blacks in the city should be worried about racism because of all the mass shootings. And what of course they don't mention is that the overwhelming majority of the so-called mass shootings in cities are perpetrated by black people or Hispanics on occasion. And that's Almost everyone who's committing mass shootings in cities. We don't have to guess about that either. The New York Times ran the numbers a few years ago. They looked at every single mass shooting event that's occurred in the United States everywhere, not just in the cities. um, And that was in 2015. And roughly 75% of all the mass shootings were perpetrated by black people. Of course, CNN doesn't say that anywhere in the article. Instead, they tell scary ghost stories about systemic racism so that we don't focus on the very real problem of the black community killing itself. And they cite experts as cover so they don't have to reckon with the obvious absurdity of all of this. All they care about is generating the fear, the false fears about things that don't exist. And it's not just the media that's doing this. This is a social cancer, and therefore it's much bigger than corporate media. It's endemic in politics as well. You might have seen uh, that Democrats just ran an ad that's gotten a lot of attention, and this is an ad in Ohio. And in the ad, they're claiming that Republicans want to take away birth control. They made uh, an advertisement that was, you know, intentionally very salacious and also dishonest uh, because it's supposed to generate all this attention, which it successfully did. But here's the ad.
1: (laughs) Do you have a condom?
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you can't use those. What are you talking about? Who are you? I'm your Republican Congressman. Now that we're in charge, we're banning birth control.
1: This is our decision, not yours. Get out of our bedroom!
0: I won the last election. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to watch and make sure you don't do anything illegal. Some great acting there as well. Phenomenal. Now, not that it needs to be said, but there is no effort in Ohio or any other state to ban birth control. This is an entirely delusional concern, a fear based in nothing but their own imaginations on the left. The truth is that most conservatives won't even speak honestly about the dangers of birth control, though they should, much less try to ban it. The bill they're talking about in that ad, it's Prop 1. And guess what? It has nothing to do with birth control at all. It's about the procedural requirements needed in order to pass an amendment to the state constitution. That's what the bill is. So why are Ohio Democrats lying about Prop 1 and Republicans' supposed scheme to outlaw birth control? They're warning about evil Republicans coming to steal your birth control so you don't focus on other things. And when it comes to birth control, they don't want you to focus on the fact that basically everything, STDs, divorce rates, unwed pregnancies, has gotten worse since birth control was invented. Take a look at the divorce rates from 1965 and 1975 sometime. Divorce rate doubled five years after the pill was first made available. Again, they're feeding you invented problems so you don't notice the real ones. They're giving you fake things to be afraid of so you don't worry about the real threats. Hollywood and entertainment writers do the same thing. The Atlantic uh, Magazine just published a think piece on the new Barbie movie. And we're getting a lot of think pieces about Barbie. And this one is entitled, What's the Matter with Barbie? Greta Gerwig's Barbie is a charming blockbuster adventure about the tribulations of simply existing as a woman in society. Yes, the tribulations of simply existing as a woman in modern American society. Left unmentioned in this article is that men kill themselves at more than three times the rate of women they overdose far more often as well. According to the CDC data, as of 2021, men have a life expectancy in the United States of just 73 years old, whereas women typically live until 79. As Harvard Medical School put it, quote, men die younger than women and they're more burdened by illness during life. They fall ill at a younger age and have more chronic illnesses than women. For example, men are nearly 10 times more likely to get um, hernias than women and five times more likely to have aortic uh, aneurysms. American men are about four times more likely to be hit by gout. They're uh, more than three times more likely than women to develop kidney stones, to become alcoholics, to have bladder cancer. They're about twice as likely to suffer from uh, uh, emphysema or uh, ulcers. Although women see doctors more often than men, men cost our society much more for medical care beyond age 65. When it comes to health, males are the weaker sex throughout life. That's what they said. Although calling it the weaker sex is obviously not a fair characterization. So even when we're listing all of the illnesses that men get, there's the there's a take a shot at men at the end of it. And you're not supposed to think about that. Just like you're not supposed to think about what's actually happening in black communities or what birth control actually does to women or why a struggling black community college student would lie about being kidnapped. You're also not supposed to think about the testimony of those IRS whistleblowers or the FBI document showing that Joe Biden is personally implicated in illegal overseas influence-peddling operations. There's a media blackout on all those topics. Every power center in this country is willing to lie to you, to your face, as obviously as they possibly can to keep you from thinking any of these unapproved thoughts, to keep you afraid of the phantoms they've created. You know, one of the reasons why hoaxes like the Carly Russell case gain so much traction and seem apparently believable to so many people, at least at first, is that the media has laid the groundwork by telling us about an epidemic of hate crimes against black people and other supposedly marginalized groups. But it's all a lie. There's, there is no such epidemic. You only need to look at the numbers to see the lie for what it is. For instance, when they insist, as they often do, that trans people are being murdered in hate crimes by the dozens every year, one quick look at the stats shows that in order to support that assertion, they're categorizing literally every single murder of a trans person as a hate crime. Even though the data indicates that maybe one or two of the victims each year are killed for being trans, not much of an epidemic. But the pathological lying is right out in the open. Now, the only good news here is that pathological lying is the easiest kind of lying to spot. And it's the easiest kind of lying to reject, therefore. What's needed is for people in power to actually do that, to reject this insanity. Because if they don't, then, you know, more desperate lunatics will start running into the woods pretending to be kidnapped. They'll take advantage of every weak-willed police chief and every corrupt media outlet in this country. We're already seeing that happening. It'll happen more often until it happens constantly, until you can't get away from it. Lies will become indistinguishable from reality. And once that happens, you don't have civilization anymore. You have something unrecognizable, something that you can never repair. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know what company is looking out for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it. This is great news for new and current Pure talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and includes a mobile hotspot with no price increase whatsoever. If you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't made the switch, take a look again. For just $20 a month, you'll get unlimited text talk and now 50% more 5G data plus their new mobile hotspot as well. This is why I love Pure Talk. They're veteran-owned and only hire the best customer service team located right here in the USA. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while also enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Remember, you vote with how you spend your money, so stop supporting woke wireless companies that don't support you. When you go to puretalk.com Walsh, you'll save an additional 50% off your first month because they actually value you. That's puretalk.com Walsh. Pure Talk, wireless for Americans by Americans. Uh, Okay, I want to start with this because it is the most important. We begin with the latest on the saga that has gripped the nation, a story that uh, you will agree deserves to be the first thing mentioned in the five headlines. A couple days ago, we told you about the controversy in Alaska that erupted when a school board candidate entered a parade with a giant Johnny the Walrus parade float, and he won first prize thanks to um, uh, the, the lib judges of the parade who didn't realize what Johnny the Walrus is, didn't know that it's a book written by the transphobe of the year, And they realized after the fact they were devastated, outraged, incensed, even though the float is beautiful. I mean, easily the most incredible, most magnificent parade float ever made. And yet still, despite its beauty, um, it is the center of such controversy. Well, here's the latest from the local channel KUAC quack, I guess we call it, in Alaska. Let's listen to this report.
1: A school board candidate in Fairbanks has made a statement about keeping gender identity options out of schools with a giant inflatable walrus. Michael Humphrey, who has not filed yet, is running for a seat on the Fairbanks North Star Borough Board of Education. He and his family entered a float in the Golden Days Grand Parade last weekend in Fairbanks and won the award for best political float.
2: I ordered it off of a website that they manufacture them overseas and gave them my logo and they, they sent it to me in three days.
1: The 20-foot walrus sported the name tag Johnny, which Humphrey says is from the book Johnny the Walrus by blogger and commentator Matt Walsh.
2: The people who already knew about Johnny can appreciate it, and those who didn't can, can learn a little bit more.
1: The Johnny the Walrus book talks about a boy who imagines he is something he's not, and his mother, feeling peer pressure, tries to transform him until Walsh, as a zookeeper, tells her Johnny is just a boy. After the parade, a controversy erupted on social media, with many Fairbanksians saying the book is a message against LGBTQ people, and the float is also.
0: That float does not represent the values of the chamber or any of the employees or the guest judges.
1: Greater Fairbanks Chamber of Commerce CEO Jeremy Johnson says parade judges only saw the walrus as an Alaskan animal appropriate for the parade. They even thought Humphrey was using the walrus to cleverly refer to his own mustache. Johnson says he's received emails saying the chamber supports hateful ideas and as a nonprofit, should not be endorsing candidates. He says they don't, and we'll talk more at a regular board meeting Monday.
0: This is going to be a topic of discussion, whether this flow, judging category should even be included. Well, I'm glad to hear that they are—they're uh, going to be holding a, a board meeting about this. So this the, the 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 controversy over the parade float continues in Alaska. And I'm not saying that up in Alaska uh, they apparently don't have much to worry about, but maybe they don't, which is—which is which is a good thing. It's like one of the good. So when you live in a state where it's like only five other people live, um, it's uh, you, you don't have many of the same problems, which I think is one of the reasons why people move there. And it's no better evidence than this story which I just find phenomenal. And as I said the, you know um, Michael Humphrey, the school board candidate, I don't know uh, anything about him. I don't know his uh, campaign platform. I know he's opposed to gender ideology, which is really all I need to know. But even before that, um, I unequivocally endorse any and all political candidates who make Johnny the Walrus parade floats. The, the, your opinions on the issues don't matter. so for me I'm a single issue voter and it is Johnny the Walrus parade floats. And so that's why I support Michael Humphrey. And he's really the only candidate I can support right now because he's the only one who has done this. Which raises a question about all the other political candidates. Why haven't you? This is a, you should ask that of anyone running for any political office. Where do you stand on Johnny the Walrus parade floats and why have you not made one yet? All right. Uh, this is from Daily Wire. Someone argues a slightly more important story, but uh, I don't think so. House Democrats tried and failed to censor Robert Kennedy Jr., a Democratic Party candidate for president, at a hearing on censorship. So that's the irony here is a hearing on censorship. And they tried to censor him during the hearing. Uh, Democrats are immune uh, to irony. They don't even notice it. It's all like their whole existence is that. So they don't even notice it anymore. Representative Demi, Debbie uh, Wasserman Schultz moved to shift the select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government hearing on Thursday to executive session because Mr. Kennedy has repeatedly made despicable anti-Semitic and anti-Asian comments as recently as last week. The Congresswoman cited a House rule against testimony found to defame, degrade, or incriminate any person, which would allow the committee in aside to determine whether to allow such testimony during the open hearing. Now, uh, of course, he hasn't said anything anti-Semitic, uh, all these accusations are, are false in the first place. And I say that as you know, we've talked before about, uh, about uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. And all of the credit that he's being given by people on the right. There's even a lot of conservatives saying, it's like, I've all but endorsed him for president. Um, all but. And I don't go nearly that far because he is a Democrat. So the, the best you could hope for a Democrat is that uh, by Democrat standards, they'll be not as bad as the others. But that still means it's someone you, someone you could never actually support. Uh, because they're still a Democrat. I mean, if this was someone who uh, was, was worth supporting, they wouldn't be a Democrat anymore. So to be a Democrat at all requires you to sign on to some, some, some really basic uh, tenets. And those tenets are all horrific. So, But with that said, that doesn't mean that every accusation they make about him is, is true. And in fact, most of them aren't, and this is one of them. But it's also interesting that this happens uh, only a couple days after we had Barack Obama c- come out, and we talked about this on the show a few days ago. He, he published his, his letter um, you know, to the librarians of America lamenting all the efforts to shut down conversation and center censor and ban books. And all the rest of it. And he talked about how how important it is, how important it is for us to have uh, conversations and to express our ideas and the controversial ideas or ideas people don't like. Those are the ones that need to be protected most of all, he said. And while claiming that, in reality, of course, pretty much all of the censorship efforts are happening on one side. And that really is the case. It's not hyperbole. Um, you don't find that on the other side you don't find that uh, among conservatives and and it's it's just because we don't believe in it for one thing it's uh it's against our principles but also strategically it doesn't make any sense for us like strategically for democrats for the left censorship is all it's their only strategy so it's, it's all they can do because they can't engage on the issues and if you can't engage then the best you could do is try to shut down the other side but um, for us it's no, it, it, if you, if, if I know that you're wrong about something, then I want your wrongness to be put on a full display. The crazier you are, the more I want people to see it so that I can engage with it and I can show why it's wrong. Although oftentimes we don't even need to do much work to show why it's wrong. That That's our approach. Their approach is entirely different because they know they don't have the truth on their side. Rolling Stone, uh, published this article yesterday. All week long, a culture war has been raging around country star Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town, a turgid power ballad wrapped around an unsubtle warning to protesters and other outsiders. Try that in a small town, see how far you make it down the road, quoting the song. To many observers, that sounds uncomfortably close to the kind of threat that the Klan used to issue to civil rights activists and that modern day racists continue to spout today. The music video, which juxtaposes stock footage of Canadian protesters with scenes set at the site of a 1927 lynching, didn't help dispel that impression. Um, scholars have noted the obvious parallels. Oh, the scholars—we've heard from the so the scholars have chimed in on this uh, on this pop song, and they've noticed the uncomfortable parallels between "Try That in a Small Town" and white nationalist ideology. Aldean claims he's just singing about community and neighborly harmony, but here's we, we get to the the, the the good part it says the article says some right wing trolls, though, don't want you to think too hard about any of that. They'd rather talk about rap music. Alleged Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy is moaning about Ice-T's 1992 song Cop Killer and sex and violence in hip hop. Frequent hate monger Matt Walsh whines that nearly every rap song for the past 30 years has directly and enthusiastically glorified murder, drug dealing, robbery and every other violent crime. And these people say nothing. True. True. Um, TV comedian turned far-right fringe voice Roseanne Barr got in on the act, too, with a salty tweet about gangster rap. This is a familiar pattern, Rolling Stone says, to anyone who's paid attention to the past few decades of conservative punditry. When the heat gets too high on the right wing, they try to change the subject to hip-hop. It's why when shock jock Don Imus was under fire for his nasty racist remarks about the Rutgers women's basketball team in 2007, some people wanted to talk about rappers' language instead. It's why Bill O'Reilly, okay, so we're going, so they're accusing, so I like he's accusing us of changing the subject and bringing up the ancient past, um, and then he goes immediately to Don Imus and Bill O'Reilly, examples from 2007 and 2003, respectively. But this is always the game, is, is to say, oh, well, you're, this is whataboutism, you're changing the subject. No, we're not changing the subject. Yeah, yes, it is a whatabout, but guess what? Whatabout arguments are Completely valid. Yes, maybe we've attached ism to it, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's not valid. So yes, it, it, all a what about argument does? It's a way of a, of establishing that you that this this principle that you're espousing you don't apply consistently. So you you have stated a principle, you've made a statement, you've applied it to this one very localized area and we're saying, well what about all these things over here that this would also apply to? What about those? Part of the what about is to is to is to try to try to get to what you're actually saying. what 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 point are you actually trying to make? So on this topic, up on the left and in the media, They're pretending to be terribly scandalized by violence, by violent rhetoric in a song, right? And they're they're worried about what it might encourage people to do and and what it might provoke. They're saying things like the, the song is dangerous. And what we're saying is, okay, if you're worried about violent lyrics in songs, what about... All of this stuff over here. What about like almost every rap song that's ever been made? Does that There's, there's a lot of violence there. And it's, it's much more explicit. And we laid this out a few days ago. Not only is it much more explicit, but uh, whereas Jason Aldean, if he's encouraging violence at all or talking about it in a favorable way, he's talking about violence in defense of the innocent, violence in defense of your community, violence in self-defense. Yeah, those are all good kinds of violence. Not all violence is made equal. Not all violence is bad. Violence in defense of the innocent, violence in defense of yourself that is good. There's a good form of violence. It's not good that it comes to that. But it's it's it is um it is good to defend yourself and to defend the innocent. So that's what he's talking about whereas the big difference with violence in uh, a lot of rap songs is that while it's being explicitly promoted and glorified by people who, by the way, oftentimes have actually engaged in this kind of violence themselves and are bragging about it. Uh, On top of that, the violence they're talking about is not violence in defense of the innocent or in defense of anyone, even self-defense. It's violence, uh, just to prove how tough you are, it's violence, uh, you know, it's violence motivated by greed, You're robbing someone. It's violence motivated by just pure indifference to human life. So it is entirely valid for us to say, well, if you have an issue with violence in music, why are you giving all of that a pass? So you're proposing that something is a problem. You're skipping over all of the worst examples of that problem. And you're you're sifting through all of that you're digging through all of it you're discarding oh, it doesn't matter that doesn't matter that doesn't matter until you find this one little thing to pin the whole issue on that's what we're pointing out because if we are going to have um, any kind of meaningful conversation about violence and music violence and media that could be a worthwhile conversation but it's not a worthwhile conversation if we don't get the full picture first if we don't get the full picture of what we're of what we're dealing with I could go on here, but I'm not going to, Um, this Rolling Stone article. Do, Do they get to the point in the article of actually dealing with these comparisons, like explaining? So you're upset about the Jason Aldean thing. You don't care about any of this stuff with the rap music. Why is that? Why is all of that violent rhetoric in like literally thousands of rap songs through the decades, why is all of that okay? And it doesn't concern you, and you never bring it up. He never gets around to engaging with that question or answering it, of course, because there is no answer. All they can do is uh, is point at what we're saying and say, "What about ism? doesn't count." Oh, you see, you see, if you bring up our hypocrisy and our double standards, um, then it it that's it it is automatically invalid to bring up our hypocrisy and double standards. Very convenient. Uh, not a lot of insight there, but maybe if we go to the View, the View had uh, had dealt with this Jason Aldean song yesterday, and uh, let's listen to what they had to say. Maybe they'll have maybe they'll have something more more intelligent to offer. We can always hope.
2: This was, to me, something where about half the people in my life see it one way and half the people in my life see it a different way. So I'm trying to, like, kind of see what are we disconnecting on. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that his intent wasn't to, you know, stoke division, glorify violence or racism. I'm going to give him that benefit of the doubt. I don't know. But I'll say this. There was a line. So for the many folks who are offended by this, there's a line in it that says, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here, we take care of our own. So for a lot of my friends and family who are legal gun owners and small communities. They're like, yeah, that's what we do if someone breaks into a story. He's talking about the right to defend yourself. What I thought of when I read that read that was Ahmaud Arbery. I think of a black man in a small town in the South who literally just got shot for doing nothing wrong. So I think what becomes problematic is that there's a, rec- there's a lack of recognition of what this means to about 50% of the country whose experience isn't Jason Aldean's. I like him. I've always liked his music. I'm kind of a country gal about like a quarter of the time. But this is also for the folks on the right who are defending this, they see the BLM riots, many like. I think many can acknowledge protests, protests, and riots um, that. George Floyd's death and murder was evil, it was wrong, it was unacceptable, but so was the killing of someone like David Dorn, a black, retired police officer who was defending his friend's store and was shot during the riots and aftermath of that movement. So I think if people of good faith can see both sides, I can see there is an issue with this song because of what it means to a lot of communities, but there is an issue of violence, of looting, of rioting. Yes, but why Facebook are you
1: linking it to black people? Well,
3: We're that's talking what, that, about. That's the issue. That's, that's the, the issue. issue. The
2: issue. imagery is what becomes very well, problematic. You know. You.
0: Well, once again, uh, there's. Uh, I, I guess we 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 gave it a shot. We gave it a shot to see if there's anything uh, insightful being said on the view, but apparently there isn't. Um, a long conversation, though, it went on for a long time. In, in every every major media outlet, all the shows have been talking about this. Yeah, once again, you're not going to find this kind of uh, conversation about any other violent form of music, which is which is a, a shame because, as I said, this is this is actually a worthwhile. Conversation to have, and you could throw Jason Aldean's song into it. I'm fine. No, I think his song is fine. I don't. I don't particularly like the song, and I don't. It's not something I'm going to listen to myself. I just don't enjoy how it sounds. Uh, the message is fine, but if you want to have a broader like discussion about, okay, well, you've got, you know, you have violence that's that's uh, portrayed in in movies and in TV shows. It comes up in music, um, in many different contexts. When is, it, when is it a bad thing that we should be worried about? When is it good? Is it always bad? Or is it always fine? Is it never bad? Like we could, These are all things that we can talk about. But we can't do that when you've just decided to give, again, to take all the worst examples of this and to give them all a pass. That's when it doesn't work. Finally, I wanted to play this. I've had this for a few days and haven't had a chance to play it yet. Um, but I enjoyed this video posted to uh, Twitter by the account leftism for You, And this woman is upset over her, um, her ex-husband's parents or ex-in-laws showing her trans child what is a woman. Now, let's just play the video and then we'll talk about it.
3: My ex-in-laws today forced my child, who has come out as transgender, uh, to sit and watch what is a woman. They called me to vent and talk to me about it because they needed, they needed a safe space to talk and I'm very glad that I am that safe space. Um, that is a very precarious power to behold. Being the safe space, I casually suggested that um, as revenge they should salt the coffee pot while everybody's asleep because then, you know, the salt will dissolve. Nobody would know. I didn't think they'd actually can do it.
0: Well, I don't know anything else about these in-laws, but I will say uh, credit to them for this. And, you know, it it does bring up a kind of an important point that I've wanted to make about this because people ask me all the time um, whenever this movie comes up and I hear I get the question from parents a lot about um, is the movie appropriate for kids? And they say kids of whatever and say how old their kids are. Should I play this movie for my kids? And you know, the exact age when 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 you feel comfortable playing it for your kids, that's obviously a determination you have to make on your own as a parent, There's a judgment call that you have to make. I can't make it for you. What I will say, though, especially for younger kids, I wouldn't show them what is a woman um, or, you know, any other kind of media that deals seriously with this issue at a, you know, for younger kids. If they haven't been exposed to this, like I'm not my oldest kids are 10 years old. They haven't seen the movie. They're not going to see it anytime soon because I'm not going to expose them to these concepts. They still have their innocence. They haven't been exposed to this, and I'm not going to be the one to do that. But if you have a kid who's already been exposed to this and um, they've been not only exposed to it, but they've been sucked into the cult already, uh, then that is a time. Or not only a really serious conversation about this issue, but uh, even to show them a movie like What Is Woman, because it could it could lend some some clarity. You know, this is a kid who's very very confused um, and is living in a in a state of like mental fog right now, that's been intentionally imposed on him by the adults in his life, including his mother. And clarity is exactly what he needs, so I think that's a good thing. Now, let's get to the comment section. With everything going on in the world right now, you could really use a good night's sleep. I know that I could. Well, that's why you need to check out Helix Mattress. Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring their customers to a truly elevated sleep experience. They just launched their new Helix Elite. The Helix Elite collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. I've had my Helix for years now. I absolutely love it. Night after night, I sleep like a sweet, sweet baby, and I want the same for you. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and uh, sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you, because why would you want to sleep on a mattress that was made for somebody else? Go to helixsleep.com Walsh and take their two-minute sleep quiz to find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Their flexible payment plans make it so that a great night's sleep is never far away. For a limited time, Helix is giving you 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Take advantage of this amazing offer at helixsleep.com Walsh. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So there is someone who made it into the, almost made it into the daily cancellation today, but I decided that I wanted to rant about something else instead in that segment. So uh, instead, an honorable mention that I'll give is to my wife. And uh, she tweeted yesterday, and I, I should say last, last night she tweeted this, and I want you to understand that. Uh, she went to bed last night. She said she was tired and she had to go to bed, and that's fine. So I was out in the living room, and uh, she had gone to bed, I thought, supposedly sleeping. When I see this pop up on my Twitter feed from my wife, it says, who in the Nashville area is selling pygmy goats? I want to get two in a few months. Anyone have a wait list on litters? In my spare time, I'm going to have a hobby farm. So here's the first issue. She's supposed to be sleeping, but instead she's awake in bed researching goats for this goat farm that she wants to have. But we'll not have because this is not happening. You know, I have lost every argument in my house about animals that we've ever had. Every animal I said I didn't want, we ended up getting from cats to dogs to chickens. But so my record is not good. My batting average is very bad. But on this, I I will prevail. We're just we're not going to do this. So I'm telling you right now, if you live in the Nashville area, uh, do not give this woman your goats. Uh, Don't do it. Your goats are not welcome on my property. I don't care what she says. You will not be sending them to a loving home. Um, I hate your goats, and I don't want them. You are sending your goat off to its demise. Okay, I was, I, You know, when she was look, doing this last night, I was looking up recipes for goat stew last night when my wife was researching her goat farm, because that's what's going to happen to your goats. Fair warning. I want you to know that. Why would I want goats? They don't do anything. They serve no purpose. My wife says, oh, uh, we could say get goat's milk. Really? Are you going to get up every morning to go milk the goat? Are you going to do that? Because I don't think you are. And who's drinking it? I know I'm not. I know I come in the house with goat milk fresh from the animal that I can see down there out the window. No, I'm not drinking that. And if I wanted goat milk, i just go to the store five minutes away. Oh, but it's cheaper to get your goat milk fresh. Is it really? I don't think it is. It's a cheaper option, really, to buy the goats, get the goat feed, build the goat pen, maintain these animals, care for them. Is that cheaper? I don't think it's cheaper. Even if it is, it's not worth the effort for a minor savings on a beverage that we don't even drink. Okay. But of course, it's not even about the milk. You know, it's because she thinks the goats are cute. And my kids think the goats are cute. And my three year old daughter really wanted a pet goat and she asked me for one. And I said yes, but only because I'm a dad and she's the three year old daughter. And like any dad of a three year old daughter, I always say yes to her and she gets everything she wants. You know, it's just the way I can't help it. It's just nature. Like my older kids will come in the kitchen and say, Dad, can we have a snack? And I'll say, no, you, had, you ate a meal 10 hours ago. You don't need a snack. And then my daughter will come in and say, Daddy, can I have a snack? And I'll say, sure, princess. Would you like pudding or ice cream? That's the way it goes, okay? It's just the way it goes. But The point is it's not fair to take advantage of that, to try to blackmail me into getting a goat. It's not going to happen. So this one right here, this is, a, this is I, I will prevail on this. We are not getting a goat. It is not happening. Especially a pygmy goat. You even know what that is. Sounds annoying, though. Billy says, I'm completely on board with the M. Night Shyamalan-esque celebration of hot dogs. Uh, I need to watch Signs again now. Between the love of hot dogs and aliens, I bet Signs is Matt's all-time favorite movie. Um, not at all. In fact, it's the, the, the reason, you know, because I appreciate aliens so much and have so much respect for them is one of the reasons why I hate Signs so much. Uh, because of the way that, the, I think we've talked about this, the way that it portrays the aliens as somehow morons. Who come to a to a planet that's almost entirely comprised of water, with water in the atmosphere, and yet they yet water is fatal to them. So, not to mention they can't figure out how to how to navigate through a locked basement door, even though they were able to make it you know 500 light years across space. So not not really my favorite. Um, Garrett says, with your endorsement of hot dogs, does that mean that now that hot dogs are the official food of the SBG? I said, yeah, I guess so. We'll go with that. Rain Man says, we're always told that these hormones are life-saving medications. If that's the case, then that would disqualify a trans person from enlisting in the armed forces. I tried to enlist in the army, but was denied because of my asthma and dependence on my daily medicine. That is a a very good point. That's actually a really good point. I wish I had thought to make myself. It's a very good point, and it's also futile. Because once again, you're pointing out this inconsistency, because in, in most other cases, if you depend on life-saving medicine, if there's a certain kind of medicine that you need to take every single day to save your life, then they're not going to allow you in the military, and they shouldn't. So you're not going to have the physical fitness required to uh, be in the military. And also, you know, you, you, we can't be guaranteed that you're always going to be in a situation where you're going to have access to that medicine. So for your own sake and the sake of national security and for the country, we can't allow people like that in the military. Uh, and yet, we let trans people with the gender, so-called gender-affirming care, which they also say is life-saving. And they would say that it's like, you know, they would look you straight in the eye and they would say that um, for a man, his, his estrogen pills are life-saving in exactly the same kind of way that an inhaler is life-saving for somebody having an asthma attack. They would say it's exactly the same kind of life-saving medical intervention. And yet in one case, they'll still let you in the military and the other not. Another inconsistency. As many of you know, I wasn't super thrilled when my family got a dog, but uh, they are obsessed with it, which is why, despite my own distaste for the mangy beast, I love making my family happy. And part of doing that is keeping this free loader as healthy as possible, which is why I give my dog Rough Greens. Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Little did I know, before I got Rough Greens, dog food is dead food. Everybody knows that uh, nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Well, let Rough Greens boost your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. You just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for dogs, too. Dr. Dennis Black is so confident Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free Jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. A free Jumpstart trial bag can be at your door in just a few business days. Go to freeroughgreens.com Walsh or call 844-ROUGH-700. That's free, R-U-F-F, greens.com Walsh or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. Also, when Dr. Jordan B. Peterson made the decision to join Daily Wire Plus, it was a major win for those who champion free speech and intellectual debate. With one year of unparalleled output, his contributions have set new standards and remain unmatched by any other platform. Daily Wire Plus now has a vast array of exclusive Jordan Peterson content, offering hundreds of hours of captivating content you're not going to find anywhere else. Jordan has created thought-provoking works that reshape your perspective on life, which include Vision and Destiny, Marriage, and Dragons, Monsters, and Men. Additionally, you can immerse yourself in discussions that nurture your spiritual side, like Logos and Literacy and Jordan's groundbreaking series on the Book of Exodus. And that's only just the beginning. I haven't even mentioned the Beyond Order Lecture Series or his extensive archive of lectures and podcasts. This is the absolute compendium of all things uh, Jordan Peterson. Plus, there is even more new exclusive content on the horizon. This is only the beginning of becoming a Daily Wire Plus member. You'll embark on an unforgettable experience that will fuel your thirst for knowledge and inspire personal growth. Like never before. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. If you are in therapy, you're probably wasting your time. Worse, you're probably doing yourself more harm than good. That's the case that I want to make today in this segment. But first, let's establish some necessary background uh, to begin with. That starts with this. Recently, The Hill published a report telling us what we already know, which is that Americans love going to therapy. According to the outlet, quote, the number of Americans seeking mental health treatment is almost twice as high as it was two decades ago, reflecting a historic recent decline in mental health, but also an increase in virtual care and positive trends of destigmatization. In 2004, just 13% of adults said that they had visited a therapist, psychiatrist, or other mental health professional within the past year, according to Gallup polling. In 2022, that number was up to 23%. Now, to put this in perspective in terms of raw numbers, if these percentages are accurate, then somewhere around 60 million adults in this country are in therapy. Reading on, quote, A majority of psychologists reported seeing more patients seek help for disorders related to anxiety, depression, or stress in 2020, and again in 2021 and 2022, according to an annual survey from the American Psychological Association. Many health experts link to uh, increased demand to plummeting mental health during the pandemic, which led to spikes in the numbers of Americans reporting depression and anxiety. Some health experts think the numbers tell another story, however. One about the success of teletherapy. Now, it's important to note that success in this sentence doesn't mean that this type of therapy has proven effective at helping people uh, solve their problems. It just means that teletherapy has become more and more common as therapy customers find it easy and convenient to sit in the comfort of their own homes and attend therapy over FaceTime. This is part of what has increased the uh, the demand. You know, it's what drive is driving the increased demand. The article also puts a lot of the blame on COVID. But these are all trends that far predate COVID and FaceTime. In fact, I found an article from the American Psychological Association noting the significant increase in Americans seeking mental health services. And that article was published in 2004. So in 2004, they were already noticing this uh, big increase in people going to therapy. And now we know, compared to 2004, it's doubled since then. The trends become even more evident when you break it down generationally. The Hill notes that as of 2019, which means that all these numbers are higher now, 37% of Gen Z had received therapy, 35% of millennials, and 26% of Gen Xers. So it's clear that something like COVID is a relatively minor factor here. Therapy is becoming more and more popular generation after generation, and these trends have, become, have been observable for decades. Which is interesting when you consider, again, the very first sentence of this article, which says, The number of Americans seeking mental health treatment is almost twice as high as it was two decades ago, reflecting a historic recent decline in mental health. So it's not just uh, the Hill noticing this either. I mean, the rest of the media, along with our public health authorities, also insist that mental health is declining at a historic rate. Well, that's a funny thing, isn't it? Correlation doesn't always mean causation, but still, the correlation here is hard to ignore. Over the decades, we're told, mental health is getting worse and worse, even though more and more people are going to therapy. Each year, more people go to therapy, and yet the problem only gets worse. There's a a bit of a chicken and egg conundrum here, of course. Maybe more people are going to therapy because mental health is allegedly so bad, you could always argue. But even then, if therapy works, if all of the collective billions that Americans have spent on therapy was actually money well spent then shouldn't we see those benefits manifest themselves in the culture at some point? Instead, we just see more and more people going to therapy while all the problems therapy is supposed to fix only continue to get worse and worse year after year after year after year. Just to use a quick football analogy, uh, shortly after the end of the 2022 season, the Baltimore Ravens fired their strength and conditioning coach by the name of Steve Saunders. He had uh, been in that job for several years, and each year under his tenure, it seemed as though players were getting injured at an unusually high rate, and the problem only got worse over time. A rash of injuries plagued the Ravens every year. Now, you might argue that if players are getting injured a lot, that's all the more reason to not fire your strength and conditioning coach. He's got a lot of work to do. there's all the more reason why we need him. Just let him do his work. But of course, the trend indicates that whatever Steve Saunders was doing to help prevent injuries wasn't working. If you have a good strength and conditioning coach, you should find that player health and fitness is trending up. If it trends down year after year, it probably means that you need to seriously revamp your strength and conditioning department and fire the people in charge of it. So a similar point can be made about the people tasked with ensuring that mental, uh, the mental strength and conditioning of Americans. We have seen nothing but decline in that area, decade upon decade, which probably means that a whole lot of people in the mental health industry should be fired. On a, on a macro societal level, there simply is no reason to believe that most of these people are doing us any good at all. On the micro level, you can see this as well. It's not a coincidence that, coincidence that many of the worst and most dysfunctional people you'll ever meet have been in therapy for years. Now, there's no sign that it's doing them any good, that it's prompting any improvements, but they keep at it. You know, it reminds you of a, of a morbidly obese person who's been seeing a dietitian for 15 years. Something just isn't working here. Now you see the morbidly obese person, and you find out they're seeing a dietitian. You say, "Well, that's good. That's the kind of person who needs a dietitian." But then you hear, "Oh, I've been going to this guy for fifteen years." Okay, unless you started at seven thousand pounds and now you're down to three hundred, unless that's the case, then clearly there's a problem with the dietitian. Something's not working here. Yesterday on the uh, on the members' block, we watched this video of a twice-divorced woman explaining why. None of the bad things in her life are her fault. Let's watch that again.
3: Things I stopped f-ing with after my divorce. People who judge me based off of my choices. Oh, you would never get a divorce no matter what? Cool. Well, I've had two. Be well. Also stopped f-ing with the narrative that something was wrong with me. Nothing is wrong with me. Things happened to me that made me the person that I was and have the struggles that I had. You can fix that f-ing. Anything that you don't like. Anything that is no longer serving you. Change it. Change it. Go to therapy. Do the journaling. Practice meditation. Do the things that you need to do to be the person you want to be.
0: Go to therapy, she says. If we can assume that she's taken her own advice, we see again how therapy has not helped this truly awful person be any less awful. If anything, it seems to have reinforced all of her worst attitudes and beliefs. By the way, this woman, Leah Marie is her name. She is a life coach who specializes in helping coach women through their own divorces. The About Me on her website says this, My second divorce was the ugliest wake-up call ever. That's when I knew I needed to do things differently if I was going to find the happiness I really wanted. So I did all the things. Therapy, journaling, meditation, reading books, listening to podcasts. I wanted to learn as much as I could about rebuilding my self-esteem, loving myself, taking better care of myself, and knowing my worth. She went to therapy, apparently, and discovered that nothing is her fault, that everything is everyone else's fault, That she's been divorced twice, and yet it was something that happened to her each time, not something that she did or is at fault for. And now she's on a journey of trying to live the most selfish life she possibly can, while helping other women do the same. By its fruits shall we know uh, it, and the fruits, as we have seen with therapy, are very rotten indeed. Now, there's a lot that goes into this, many culprits that could be named, uh, a lot driving the problem. But I would like to suggest that part of the issue is that in many cases, not all but many, therapy turns out to be not only a waste of time, but something that will ultimately do more harm than good. Now, why might that be the case? Well, for one thing, as is the case with whoever has been counseling Leah Marie, the divorce coach, you know, that we just watched, a great many therapists and psychologists and counselors and others in the psych industry have a deeply and fundamentally disordered view of humanity and what constitutes healthy behavior and good habits of thought and action. If therapy has any chance of helping you at all, it depends largely on the assumption that the therapist will have correct and useful insights into life and the human condition. But there is no license, there's no degree, there's no resume, there's no credential that ensures that someone is wise and insightful, much less that they have a correct understanding of the human condition. And what we find in many cases is that that the people in this industry not only have no special insight into any of this, but in fact are more confused than half of the people who come to see them seeking guidance. Consider the fact that many people who declare themselves trans have this idea first suggested to them by a therapist or a counselor. This issue alone absolutely proves that the, the therapy industry is a disaster. Most therapists will not only affirm the notion that a woman can be trapped in a man's body, but will even suggest it. Now, if your problems have nothing to do with gender and you have your head screwed on straight enough anyway that uh, you aren't worried about being coaxed and developing your own case of dysphoria, uh, you know, maybe you wonder, well, uh, is, is, do I have to worry about this? Even if the therapist endorses gender theory, is that a problem for me? But you still have to worry about it because you have to ask yourself, is the therapist that you're paying an exorbitant hourly rate to the kind of person who thinks women can be trapped in men's bodies. And if so, this is a person so delusional, so confused, so captured by far-left ideology that their insights cannot possibly be trusted on any subject at all. And yet the majority of therapists fall into this category. But the pitfalls with therapy don't just lie with the fact that so many therapists are bad and stupid. Before we can even get to the point of analyzing the quality of the therapist, we have to deal with the problems inherent to the very practice of therapy itself. And the biggest one is this, that many people go to therapy simply because they want to talk about themselves. It feeds their narcissistic impulse to talk incessantly and think incessantly about themselves. This is the real reason why therapy is so popular in our culture and why it becomes more popular with each generation. It's not that uh, mental health is declining, it's that narcissism is increasing. And narcissism is not so much a mental health problem as a character flaw. And this is primarily what drives the mad rush to therapy. Lots of narcissists who are willing to pay by the hour just to to, to have the privilege of having a 60-minute block reserved exclusively to conversation focused on themselves. But this is exactly the opposite of what many of these people need. What they need instead is to stop talking about themselves, stop thinking about themselves, stop dwelling on their own petty problems, stop trying to make every obstacle they face into some great saga of trial and triumph, and instead just go live their lives with some humility and sense of perspective. The best advice anyone can give you for 90% of the problems that you bring to a therapist is this, get over yourself and quit whining, go for a jog, get a hobby, do something more, just don't buy goats. Do something more interesting with your life than than constantly analyzing your own feelings. Your feelings aren't that interesting or important. Are you sad? Are you stressed out? Well, welcome to human existence. Okay, that's part of the bargain. Not every difficult emotion or personal experience needs to be hashed out and analyzed and focused on. You shouldn't even need to talk about most of it. Life is hard. Yours probably isn't as hard as you think. If you have enough money to spend $150 an hour to talk about yourself that automatically means you have an easier life than like 3 billion other people on the planet. I mean, there is a whole family starving to death in a hut made out of plywood somewhere in the world uh, while you cry to a therapist that your dad missed your dance recital when you were 7 years old. This doesn't mean that none of your problems are serious, but it does mean that most of them probably aren't. Most of your complaints you should keep to yourself and tell no one and move on with your life. You should have a whole host of worries and concerns that you have never told anyone, that nobody knows about, because you carry them yourself with quiet dignity. If you are the sort of person who has never had a problem you didn't tell someone about, or a complaint you didn't complain about, then therapy is the last thing you need. Except for the therapy I'm giving you right now, the therapy that says, grow up, you whiny child. This is what a huge number of therapy customers need to hear, but they won't hear it because most therapists won't say it or anything like it. That's because, and here's the really big ingrained problem. The therapist's income depends... On your not getting over yourself, there is a conflict of interest here. It's the same conflict of interest every time Apple releases a new phone. You know, we know that if the phone is too good, if it's too durable, if it works too well, if it's too reliable, then uh, you're not going to need to buy another one for a long time. And that's why they always make sure that the products will not be durable or reliable. Last month, the company behind the Instant Pot filed for bankruptcy. Instant Pot was a, a phenomenon just a few years ago. Everyone in the country went out and bought one. Now the company's going under. Why? Well, the product was too good. Everybody bought one. And nobody needed to buy another one because Instant Pots work and they stay working for several years at least. The company made the mistake of creating a well-made, durable product, a mistake that not many companies in America make these days and even fewer will now. This is also the issue for therapists. If they give you the Instant Pot version of therapy, if their therapy is useful and efficient and effective and offers durable, practical, long-lasting solutions, then you're not going to need to come back every week and pay $150 an hour to rehash the same issues over and over again. The therapist will have helped you become a better, more stable, more well-adjusted person, but he'll have lost a revenue stream at the same time. Some therapists, a small minority, are willing to make that trade, but most are not. So this is where we're left. If therapy will have any chance of helping you at all, the therapist would need to be a very wise person with a keen understanding of the human condition, great moral insight, enough life experience to serve as a competent guide whose objective is to stop, whose objective is to stop earning money from you. Okay? The good therapist is one who doesn't want your money anymore, who wants you to get over it and move on, and actually possesses the wisdom, skill, intelligence, character, and insight to guide you in that direction. Now, this sort of therapist certainly does exist. They exist out there in the wild world, but they are very, very rare. Most come from a more common stock, the sort of therapist who counsels the lost and confused and narcissistic, but is just as lost, confused, and narcissistic as they are. And those are the therapists that are today canceled. And that'll do it for the show today and this week. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday. Godspeed.